Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum coming to you from Burlington, Vermont, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. Today we've got crazy Madonna fans, devouring mothers, Empire State Gorgons, and chest-feeding troons with all their supporters at the Centers for Disease Control. Let's start with Madonna, and let's look at Madonna, and let's look at us through a psychological lens. Let's go. So I dipped my toes back onto Twitter, um, and it was remarkable. Kind of. I should have expected this. Uh, but it, if anything, it's gotten, well, it seems to me that it's gotten crazier. It's probably just as crazy as it's always been. But, you know, once you get your head out of there and then you go back in, it's easier to see it. So Madonna, why am I talking about Madonna? Aside from the fact that I'm a Gen X gay guy. <laughs> because I'm going to use her as an example of the parasocial relationship that we have with people we don't know but they're either celebrities or what are today called influencers or thought leaders, people that we follow on blogs or their Instagrams or their TikToks, the emotional investment that we put into the alleged relationship that we feel we have with these people. And I'm speaking broadly here. I've, I've engaged in this parasocial uh, thing myself. People engage in it with me. This is, this is, uh, this is a part of the modern internet. It, modern media, and especially social media, can give us a, uh, an illusion that we know somebody or that somebody knows us, even if we don't consciously believe, you know, Beyonce knows me. I mean, people don't think that except, you know, people who are touched. But our actions show that, that our emotions believe this. And I found myself, interestingly, on, in, uh, on the other side of some crazy Madonna fans. Now, having been a crazy Madonna fan, I, I suppose I have it coming. So here's what happened. Um, no, before I tell you what happened, I, I want to say a little bit about why certain kinds of people get into the celebrities that they do, using Madonna as an example. And a lot of this comes from my personal experience, a lot of it from when I was much younger. In my day, um, Madonna was the star of the world. She was the most famous woman in the world. Um, you know, for younger people, the level of, you know, well, I'm sorry, I was going to say like Beyonce, but I'm sorry, <laughs> Beyonce is whatever she may be as a, as a talented performer is not Madonna. Um, whether you like her or not, and a lot of people don't, I understand that, and I'm not claiming that she's a classically trained singer or anything like that, but she is the most compelling live entertainer I've, I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of shows. Um, so in my day, I was, I was a huge, huge Madonna fan from a young age. And so many other gay boys were too, and a lot of girls. And, and what, what drove people like me? In 1993, I saw Madonna at Madison Square Garden for the first time live. And when she came out onto the stage, I immediately started crying, genuinely crying. Um, like those old newsreel clips that you see of girls fainting and screaming when the Beatles got off an airplane. That's what it was like for young people like me. Why? Well, I, I think that with someone like a Madonna, people who feel that they are 
outcasts in some ways or that they are powerless culturally in some ways um, look to people like that and their brazen, defiant attitude and find something that they really like in it. I think, I think a person like a Madonna is a vehicle emotionally, mentally. It isn't real. But, but we feel that, that she has a vehicle to power for young girls. And, and I think in a lot of ways, the investment in Madonna for young gay men like me, not all young gay men were like me, but a lot were, those of us who felt like we couldn't make it as a man wanted to see if we could emulate what made a cool chick like her so freaking cool. Um, this woman has always been nuts, right? If you want to know what I think about Madonna, you want me to diagnose Madonna, you know, the thing that I can't do. I'm not allowed to diagnose PayPal, but I am allowed to have opinions. This is what I would say. Uh, obviously, Cluster B. Um, I think most people who can be described as Cluster B are not just one thing. They have a sampling from all of the four alleged disorders. So I would say in this order, could be wrong. This is soft. I would say she's Cluster B with strongest features of narcissism followed by borderline personality disorder slash histrionic uh, traits. Um, and the sad thing, there's, there's a lot of sad things about Madonna. I mean, obviously, everybody knows what she's done to her face recently. That's just part of it. Um, but I think that there is a part of her who knows that she herself doesn't know who she is and never has. You know, that's where I think the borderline traits come out, the constant image changes. Um, people talk about it in terms of she's reinvented herself. In a way. But I see instead of reinvention, I see desperate uh, attempts to become something, anything. But it's never stable. Um, so anyway, I'm supposed to go see her uh, this month. I won't be because, of course, as everybody knows, she ended up in the hospital with a bacterial infection and had to postpone her tour. I will still be going to visit my good friend George, a fan favorite on Disaffected. Uh, but we'll have to uh, wait for the tour to be uh, rescheduled. And, you know, I kind of think it's probably going to be my last time. It's probably going to be sort of a goodbye for me. Because, you know, things change, you outgrow people, and then people go crazy. She's gone crazy lately. So I made a joke on Twitter. It was this. Let it be known that Madonna is in the shithouse with me. I had fourth row tickets to see her in Denver this month, and the bitch went and got septic. So she's postponing her tour. Hey, Chicone, that's what you get when you play MX Potato Being with your face. Stop it. Stop doing that. Now, was that a little salty and harsh? Sure. Harsh like a roast at a comedy, though, and, and absolutely within the realm of the kinds of jokes that people and even professional comedians make about celebrities all the time. Um, and the thing about Madonna is that she has zero sense of humor about herself. Um, very little self-awareness, but zero sense of humor. Never has had a sense of humor about herself. Contrast that with somebody like Cher. Uh, say what you will about Cher, but Cher has a sense of humor about Cher. 
Uh, she jokes about her own plastic surgery. She doesn't deny it. Uh, and I remember an interview, God, it's probably 20 years ago, where an interviewer was kind of trying to poke at her and, and get her to say that, you know, she regrets having her plastic surgery, blah, blah, blah. And Cher wasn't having any of it. And she, it's not an exact quote, but it's close. She goes, they're my tits and I'll put them on my back if that's where I want to put them. Right? <laughs> there, having a sense of humor about yourself can can do a lot to ameliorate um, some of your rougher edges. But Madonna has never been able to do that. She wants to have her cake and eat it too. She wants to be a public narcissist but not take any of the criticism and feedback that comes with that. Um, and for my joke, I, I got on the other side of, uh, I guess if it were Beyonce fans, they call it the beehive because somebody said, you know, you rustled up the hive. I guess Madonna has a hive too. A cluster beehive maybe? <laughs> So I'm going to show you uh, some of my favorite reactions on Twitter. Uh, the first one comes from somebody who calls himself Ohio Resistor. And let me look carefully at this. I don't know if that's a for or anti-Trump little thing he's got there. But anyway, he says, I have second row tickets to a show that might be postponed as well. I know we both paid a lot for seats like that. I don't understand how you could say something so hateful to her for getting sick. She's human and got sick because she's been rehearsing six times a week for months for us, he puts in capital letters. Show respect, exclamation point, for us. That's that para parasocial relationship there. Madonna isn't doing anything for us. Madonna's doing her job. She's doing it to make money. That's her job. She's not doing it for us. Sadness. A lot of emotional investment in this. Next one from Tim Drake says, <laughs> this actually made me laugh, you know very well that you can't afford her tickets. <laughs> <laughs> There's almost no chance in the world, but Tim, if you are watching this, I know you meant to insult me, um, but that that was actually really funny, and I like the tone. You know full well you can't afford her tickets. <laughs> Sounds like something I would say. Um, it's totally true, though, actually. I can't afford the tickets right now, and, and blessed George and Clay bought them for me since I'm poor, since I lost my job. <laughs> Next one. Um, this is where it gets interesting. Uh, this one says, if you hate her that much to call her patate being, why even buy tickets? <laughs> Not patate, MX potato being. It's a joke about Mr. Potato Head. I used MX, you know. Disaffectants, you know. But this is an example. This is a split. Zero sense of humor among the fans, too. I saw a lot of this. Many of them appeared to actually believe, actually believe that I personally hate Madonna, and they they literally couldn't figure out why I would buy tickets since I, quote, hate her. It's splitting behavior. It's black and white. It's all or nothing. Next one, this one I'm going to give credit to, too. It was a good comeback. It comes from an, an account called It's All Madonna's Fault, and it's a really great picture of Madonna in concert, um, sticking her middle fingers up and saying, fuck you. It's a great picture. I was at that show, by the way, Sticky and Sweet Tour 2008. Um, that I can respect. Um, next one. Guy V says, what is wrong with you? Oh, my God. Who and why would someone say something like this for uh, question marks? I don't know, Guy. Figure it out. Next one is from Madonna Ultimate. <laughs> Actually, you are the only one in the shithouse. I wish you money losses beyond repair in your life for saying something like this. I have been cursed. Next one. 
I hope you lose every cent you spent on those tickets, you human manifestation of a wet, dirty sock. <laughs> Sweetie, not wet. Dry and crunchy. <laughs> then we have, oh, I love this. I love this so much. This is from an account called Love Profusion, which is a Madonna song from an album. The message is, the hell awaits you. The hell? What is the hell? And why is it awaiting me? <laughs> then we're back to, this is a thing I didn't know existed. Apparently, young people now accuse other people of lying about buying tickets to uh, big name star concerts. I, I have no idea where this came from. I had no idea it was a thing. I've never seen it before, but it is a thing. So Simon PhD boy uh, says, bother to sell your tickets before betching around. Says a man whose profile picture is a pineapple dressed in a gownless evening strap with the word slut stamped on it. Okay. <laughs> Next one is from Remington Graves, and he says, Good. I hope you took a financial hit. It couldn't have happened to a bigger cunt than you. <laughs> Boy, you think you hate me now. You should meet me in person. <laughs> Back to Pineapple Prostitute Boy. He says... Crying over several thousand bucks. That's loser energy. Didn't buy the tickets, but tried to spread the lies. That's a loser energy. I didn't buy what is this? You didn't buy the tickets. <laughs> All right, that's enough. But we're staying sort of in the same lane with a, a little peek over the borderline. This was also during my, my toe dip back into Twitter. Um, there really are women out there who actually genuinely like and approve of maternal child abuse. I know that sounds hard to believe, but it is true. And I found one. I found many of them. I've seen many, many instances of this over the years. Most of the women like this, in my estimation, in my opinion, from a distance, look like they probably have borderline personality disorder. They certainly display, at least on social media, the kinds of thinking that you'd expect from borderline PD. Um, this one came up. Actually, I, I started a thread. I'm not going to sh uh, show you the whole thread. You can you can look at it if you want. Uh, but I did a thread last night about um, about starting the show with Kevin and and why we did it, and what I was thinking when I did it, and how. I knew that one of the first things that, that people who didn't want to hear the kinds of things that I have to say, one of the first methods of attack they would go on would be to accuse me of being a misogynist um, or being uh, a liar about my abusive mother, being a, you know, I, there would be some way to excuse the actions in my family that my mother took and, and place that blame on me. Uh, because that's what, what people often do when, when child abuse survivors speak candidly. And especially, especially about maternal abuse. Um, so, you know, I wrote this thread and somebody named Jesse the Smoke Princess 95 comes in and says, Why does no one ever talk about the personality disorders their father has? Why is, quote, personality disorder, unquote, only subscribed to women, particularly who birthed and raised a human being. 
quote, personality disorder, end quote, is made up. It's just the latest term for, quote, hysteria. All right. She really didn't like it when I responded, um, reminding people that hysteria is actually real and there are a lot of women who are exhibiting symptoms of it today. Um, I'd show you her response, but, but she blocked me. And I asked her if she really, um, because, it, you know, I engaged with her a little bit. And I, I, I asked her, do you really believe that the child abuse that my mother dished out to her three children was justified? Do you really believe that? Um, simply because she gave birth to children and they, they, they owe her for, for having been given life, as my mother said. And this is what she said to me. It's a close paraphrase. Again, I can't. Uh, she blocked me quickly, so I couldn't uh, screenshot it. She said the only re well, OK, what I said was, is it really OK? Do you honestly mean to say that my mother's lying about me, her threats to report me to authorities for things I didn't do and stealing from me? Do you really mean to say that that was OK? She said, the only reason you had anything for her to steal is that she gave birth to you and gave you life. That's what she said. It's not the first time I've heard this either. She's not the only woman who's done this. And she went on a rager about how I didn't respect my mother. It was really, really, really crazy. You know, if a man... Uh, I don't even know how to respond to this sometimes. It's just simply not okay for people like this to acknowledge the reality of maternal abuse, and it's particularly not okay when a man does it. This is one of the ways culturally, most people don't mean to behave this way, but I, most people don't understand um, how many so-called feminists and politically hard left women have been have been driving the culture about things like sexism and misogyny. And they think that the stuff like I'm showing you here is just some rare outlier thing. You know, most of them don't say it this candidly, but this kind of feeling does animate these political movements and it has for a long time. Anyway, we're coming up to the end of the break, um, but I wanted to give you another example of female evil since that's my specialty and uh, as everyone knows I hate women just because they're women <laughs> right Governor Kathy Hochul here it is on your screen this is what she tweeted congestion pricing is good news for all New Yorkers cleaner air better transit and less traffic and this is about New York City deciding to up the prices on subways and manners of egress and ingress in and out of New York to discourage people um, on, on tollways from driving cars in so that they'll be good boys and take the mass transit. You know, Kathy Hochul is this person. She's this character from a Disney movie. She is Maleficent. She is the witch from Sleeping Beauty. That's the kind of female evil that's going on right now. Come back after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? 
put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. Have you had enough devouring mother yet? No, you haven't. So I'm going to give you some more. (laughs) Once again from Twitter, we have Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan. And for those of you listening, the tweet is a big graphic that says fireworks and sparklers are dangerous and illegal. And it's got cartoons of uh, bottle rockets with stars and stripes on them with a big band sign through it. And I cannot help but read into that an implication that not only are the fireworks banned, but that American patriotism might be a little problematic too. Do you think? So Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan says... We urge our residents to enjoy the 4th of July with their friends and family. But please avoid using fireworks and sparklers as they are both dangerous and illegal. (sighs) Sparklers are illegal now in the state of New York. Sparklers. Maybe that's an Americanism, and I know we have some international listeners. Um, They are the sticks with chemicals impregnated on them. They're they're long, thin sticks. They look like incense. You light the tip, and it sends off sparks. It's a tiny little handheld firework. They've been the firework of choice for children since time immemorial because they're not actually dangerous. They're not dangerous. Okay. Sure, they're dangerous if you take a lit sparkler and you stick it in Toby's eye, but that, that is not the intended use of the product. Like, sparklers. Sparklers are dangerous. And, don't wave sparklers. Don't give your kids sparklers. They're illegal. What are you going to do, Kathy? What are you going to do? Look at her. Look at that face. What do you see there? Uh-huh. Huh? Huh? Hi. I am Kathy Sheehan, and I love and care about you. Freak. And then I noticed, you know who liked her tweet? The Albany police. You nutless panty wastes. <laughs> Good God. I'm a homosexual and I'm more of a man than you are. What is wrong with you? The Albany police were like, I liked mommy's tweet, mommy's range. You only try to keep us safe. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't actually believe that there are cops who want to arrest and cite people for sparklers. But then I remembered, it's 2023. We live in new normal. We don't live in the real world. We live in new normal. I'll bet you there are a whole bunch of them that want to do it. Mmm. Sorry, I'm jostling my microphone here. 
it's been two and a half years since we started the show, Disaffected. And I am, I'm seeing some signs of hope. No signs of hope are ever enough for me <laughs> because I'm convinced that the worst thing that could ever happen is always going to happen. That isn't true. Well, it's sometimes true. Um, but I am seeing some signs of hope. I'm seeing people become aware of character issues, personality pathology issues, um, issues of people being conscripted into cults that they don't know they're being conscripted into because they're not called cults. They're called mainstream leftism, environmentalism, feminism, LGBTQism, BLMism, racism, all of these things that have traditionally been, whether you agreed with, it, with them politically or not, have been legitimate as in acceptable forms of, of political expression. They're, they're, they're projects that people have been on that are not considered weird or abnormal. But everything is so extreme now that these days, if you positively identify yourself, if you hold your hand up and say, yes, I'm, um, I'm for LGBTQ rights, I'm for feminism, I'm for, uh, I'm against racism. There's really not much room in our culture to say those things and mean them in, in, in a reasonable, sane and rational way. Because these people and these causes have gone so far beyond rationality that there's just going to have to be, and I think we're living through it right now, there's going to have to be some kind of a reset. We're going to have a, a, a backlash, a pushback. Pushback is starting to happen now. Um, some eggs are going to get broken there. Unfortunately, um, as much as, well, I'll take, I'll take the gay thing, for example. I talk about this a lot with my gay male friends, Kevin, Christopher, George, Clay. Um, it is almost embarrassing to, to many of us gay men in my age bracket to even... We, just, we don't want to introduce ourselves. We don't want to tell people, you know, you worry that the minute somebody who doesn't know you finds out you're gay, that you are in the LGBTQ rainbow cult. Um, so it's an uncomfortable place to be. And going back onto Twitter with that in mind, um, one of the biggest mistakes that people make in terms of evaluating other actors in society is the belief that all people, all people, at, at bottom are essentially reasonable and good at their core. Most people, I would say, don't actually accept the objective existence of people who don't fit that. They really actually don't believe that there are people who don't have a good core. They think that, that we merely haven't found it yet. Um, or they might go further and say, the rest of us who aren't obnoxious abusers, 
simply haven't made it easy enough for these people to express their goodness. And it's our responsibility to create a society where they can feel safe enough to be good people. I mean, it's all just nonsense. But I'm seeing some changes in that. Um, when I spent a lot of time on Twitter, I was very frustrated with the number of thoughtful, intelligent people, people with names that you would recognize, who would not accept the existence of bad people or people who cannot be reasoned with ever. They won't ever come back to reason because they weren't ever there. They're not capable of reason. They're only capable of emotion. So you can, you can think of these people. Some of these people are, in fact, bad people. Yes, bad. Not salvageable. Bad. Some of them are salvageable but, but will never be able to be salvaged. Because they're too far into the cult, they, you know, there's no hook that you, they won't grab onto any hook you give them. It's like the drowning person. Um, it's a danger for lifeguards when, when they swim out to a person who's drowning. The instinctive reaction of a drowning person is often to fight the attacker. You're not thinking. Your your body is just reacting. And so, lifeguards and rescue swimmers have sometimes been drowned along with the drowning person. There's a lot of people like that. It's sad, but it's true. But going back on Twitter, I see some of the people who I remember from the days when I spent more time there who either said to me directly or expressed in conversations that people with views like mine were extreme, that they were cynical, that they weren't realistic, that they were simply jaded, and that it was people like me because I'm, you know, it's, I'm not the only one who talks about this. I'm not the only one who sees this stuff. But it, it was we who had a problem. It was we who couldn't accept that everybody was essentially good and we just weren't working hard enough. I was pleased to see, among some people who I remember saying these things, a change of mind. And I think it's a change of mind that can only happen because they've had more time to experience what these people are really like. That certainly is the case for me. I didn't come to my... Uh, political and social orientation to the world that I have now overnight. It took years. One of the, I want to show you one. His name is uh, Bo Weingard, and he writes on Substack as well, and I, and I recommend him. I can't remember the name of his Substack, and I can't remember if he's part of Writer's Collective. Um, but I do remember, uh, I remember being annoyed um, uh, at, at some of the things he said, uh, I think, a couple of years ago. I think I remember him saying, you know, that all people are good and, you know, rationality and reason will win the day. Well, this is what he said this week. One of my greatest mistakes was a naive belief that most people are reasonable and persuadable. This is just as naive as the belief that most people are good. They are not. And debate is often like trying to convince a bear that it's irrational to eat a seal. Yes, Bo's right. He's absolutely right. I'm glad to see this. Um, and an online mutual and a subscriber and a supporter of the show, thank you very much. I don't know how to pronounce your NIM. You, you leave a lot of comments, uh, which I always appreciate. I guess it's Feisty NCA. You are the disaffectant of the week. Um, talked with this person a little bit about that. <clears throat> and she wrote, I'm constantly amazed that my liberal educated friends 
can see no stench of authoritarianism in our liberal government or institutions. The blinders are thick. I pushed back. Feisty NCA, friend not foe, right? Um, and I said to her, this is the mistake you're making, and please hear this in the tone of a friend, not a foe. These people do see it, and what I mean by it is the authoritarianism. It's not that they have blinders on. They don't have blinders on, most of them. They see it, and they approve of it. Even if it isn't conscious, they approve of this. That's why they vote for these people. They're voting for the authoritarianism. It's not that they don't see it. They may not call it authoritarianism to themselves. They, they, many people are definitely rationalizing. They're telling themselves that they're the good guys. This is normal human behavior. But they, they, they do see it, and they like it. So I said, please take this on board, and please see their true character. I know your emotions don't want to acknowledge that they mean it, but they do mean it. Your emotions are wrong about this one, and there's no more time for this naivete. Um, and when I say things like that, I'm talking partially to me, too, and, and to past me. So I understand it, but I also know that we got to get past it. Um, she said, you're almost certainly right. I have always tried to see the best in people until the last few years when sometimes it's nigh impossible to find. Yeah, I know. Because with some people, there is no good core to find. With others, there is a good core, but it's not accessible. You can't get to it because they're, they're, too, they're too wrapped in the cult. Here's a different, try this on as a different way of approaching the issue. Start out assuming the best or assume good faith, but be much, much quicker to notice when the person that you're trying this with isn't serving you the best back. Be quicker. Don't give as many chances. Make excuses one or two times, but don't keep doing it. Don't get on that treadmill. Most people get on a treadmill. They start, they make the excuse, they make the second one, and that's it. They just keep going. I can't understand, I can't understand, I keep trying and I can't understand. Be quicker about pulling back and, and revising your judgment. And, and I say this also to myself, as well as to everybody listening, because this is something that my own therapist has said to me, and he's used these words. They're going to sound harsh. They're not meant harshly. They are meant accurately and directly, but they are not a judgment of anyone's moral character. The emotional desire to believe in the goodness of others, of all others against evidence, is an infantile, infantile emotional orientation to the world. It is babyish and childish. And again, I say this clinically and descriptively, not as an insult. Um, you know, there have been many times when my therapist has said, you know, that's a childish reaction. That's an immature reaction. That's what I'm paying him for. I'm not paying him to tell me that I'm wonderful and that everything I do is great. Um, that's why I'm in therapy. Um, I think this idea that's become commonplace that, you know, there's some good in everybody and everyone's good. They just need to be shown it. That's a small child's romantic view of the world. It's a child's view. And it's time to put childish views away. Speaking of children, as ever, they pay the highest price for our failure as adults to maintain boundaries and decency in our culture. A couple of years ago, I would have had a hard time believing this. Some people have a hard time believing it today, but it's true. We live in new normal. So stop, collect yourself, 
remember the world that you grew up in. Think back 10 years ago. Think back 20 years ago. Get that sort of feeling of that world. And then come with me as I tell you about this. Here's a mother on Twitter. I'm going to read to you some of the mother's quotes. First one. Love, joy, and care. That's how I mother my child. And we're surrounded by a loving community of queers and allies fighting for a better world for everybody. So bullies can shout and insult and hate on us as much as you want, but ultimately our love is greater than your hate. Next one. But it needs saying, adoptive mothers are mothers, lesbian mothers are mothers, whether they birth the child or not. Stepmothers are mothers. Trans women can be mothers. You see where we're going. It's not up to a minister, a member of parliament, or anyone else to march into a family and enforce what a child calls their parent. No one's doing that. Finally, there are now online calls for my child to be taken away. Quote, how dare there be two dads or two moms? That's against biology. You're perverts, they screamed. How dare there be a trans mother? It's impossible, they scream. And then our mother writes in all caps, just leave queer families alone. Here's the mother. Isn't that heartwarming? Isn't she lovely? Isn't that maternal? Look at that man. Look at that Buffalo Bill. The context for this is this is a trans woman that is a man with a fetish and a severe psychiatric disturbance who has been taking artificial drugs to induce what he calls lactation. That is his child, or somebody's child, at his alleged breast, drinking these chemical secretions. It's called chest feeding now. Did you know that? Look at that. I don't need to give you details. You don't need a study. I don't need to cite anything to you. You know, looking at that, that you are looking at a pervert. That's not even a joyful picture. That's a smirk. Do you see the smirk? That's duper's delight. That is the narcissistic, sociopathic smirk. Look what I'm getting away with. And it's with a baby, too and you can't do anything about it. Riley Gaines, the very brave American swimmer who's been speaking out against men competing against women, tweeted, proof that the baby in the photo that I tweeted yesterday, that's when I just showed you, audience, proof that the baby was used as an erotic prop to satisfy a fetish. Notice the nipple clamps, and I'm going to show you these pictures. How can someone look at this man and not immediately think he needs to be in prison for sexual abuse of an infant? The smirk on his face says it all. So take a look at these. Here's the first one. This is uh, his profile picture in another context. Uh, if you can't see that, that's a nipple clamp. He's got it clamped to his nipple, and he's pulling on that piece of jewelry to tug at his nipple while he's wearing his face mask. Here's another one. Both nipples clamped up, right? That's what mothers do, don't they? Yeah? They clamp their titties like this, right? And they just take pictures just from here, and they show you how much their pretty cr clamped titties look, right? And that's got nothing to do with his chest feeding. Well, guess who can't see any problem with this? Naturally, the Centers for Disease Control. I give you an information box from the Centers for Disease Control. Quote, remember, 
Transgender and non-binary gendered individuals may give birth and breastfeed or feed at the chest. Chest feed. The gender identity or expression of transgender individuals is different from their sex at birth. The gender identity of non-binary gendered individuals does not fit neatly into either man or woman. An individual does not need to have given birth to breastfeed or chest feed. Some families may have other preferred terminology for how they feed their babies, such as nursing, chest feeding, or body feeding. Body feeding. You know what's next? Lower body feeding. Think that's too extreme? Come back in a year and tell me. I guarantee you I'll have a story about it. See you after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more, and all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. I'm going to talk about machines, machine technology, and nudging. I'm going to be writing and talking more about this. I've got a couple of uh, longer explorations into this that I've been writing in my head, but this is my first stab at getting into it. I wrote about this on Substack, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it here with you. Time was that machines were designed to serve human needs and human convenience. If you're younger than 40, what I'm about to talk about may not make as much sense to you because you've grown up in a world where the design and function ethos of machines is vastly different from the way machines have been conceived of through the history of, of machine living, right? There's the industrial age, of course, which brought machinery into people's lives who had never really seen much machinery beyond wheeled wagons and such before, but certainly in the age of electrification, the 20th century mainly, um, our lives became about machines. Younger people have grown up in a world in which the machines that we build have slowly but steadily started to govern our decisions. There's been a reversal. The machines that younger people are familiar with and with the machines that we all live with now, actually, they give you orders. They schedule you, not the other way around. They demand that you pay attention to them on their schedule, 
even if it's only having to move your finger yet again to dismiss another annoying, important notification on your phone or your tablet or whatever device you're on. You know, I've been on computers since, oh, well, actually since the 80s. I mean, the <laughs> when I was in, I was in sixth grade, I was in a, a gifted and talented program that decided that the gifted and talented kids um, needed to learn to code. <laughs> That's not new either. <laughs> so we went to a we went to a vocational center with a bank of IBM dummy terminals, the ones you see with the black screen with the green letters and a keyboard, and it all went to a central mainframe. That's a, that's a really interesting too. As an aside, um, we've come full circle on that. It used to be that a company or a business would buy a mainframe computer, a great big room-sized machine that didn't even ha have the power of what's what, what's in your phone right now. And there would be dummy terminals everywhere. It would be a keyboard and a monitor connected to it, but all the programming and processing was centralized. And then during the 1980s, we had what people called then the PC revolution, personal computer. That's what PC stands for. And yes, I know there are a few out there who didn't even know what PC stood for because it was made up before your time. Personal computer, that was the point. Now you weren't tied to a mainframe. Now you had the processing power right on your own desk. You had control over it. That was... You know, everybody thought it was great. We're back to uh, we're back to mainframes now. What do you think the cloud is? Cloud is just a new word for an old thing. It's exactly the same thing that I was doing with the IBM dummy terminals. Your files don't live on your machine anymore. Your machine doesn't do all of the processing. They live on servers. And people people think of the cloud, right? That even the very name itself suggests something immaterial, almost um, metaphysical. But the cloud isn't a cloud. It's not metaphysical. It's real-world electrons with mass that make up hardware, actual magnetic storage, right? The cloud is actually a physical, humming, heat-pumping-out machine that sits somewhere. Lots of them, actually. Um, but our machines schedule us today. And younger people have grown up in a world in which designers are purposefully breaking the functionality of the machine and taking away the convenience that you bought the machine for in the first place. If they don't outright break the machine and make it work worse than it needs to work, they will deliberately introduce obstacles and forced interactions between you, the human, and the machine to compel you to have to work harder to make the machine do the thing that it used to do automatically and easily. These are design choices. They're not, this is not the inevitable outcome of, of some nebulous thing called progress. And not all progress is good. Some is, some isn't. Progress is merely change. But we, we, treat, we treat the word progress as if it has a moral sheen to it. If anything makes progress or is progressive, then it is inherently desirable and good. But it isn't. It might be neutral. It might be good. It might be destructive. So these are design choices. Have you stopped to consider really how radical that is, that change in design ethos, that machines are now designed to thwart your intentions, not to service your convenience, to thwart your intentions or to make it harder for you to use the machine, to make it unnecessarily tedious? And people will say, oh, surely, Josh, that's not true. Why would designers do that? 
Well, here are some reasons why I think designers do that. Number one, to, quote, save the planet. Number two, to help you manage your screen time. Yeah, your phone really wants to help you. To help you, and then insert after help you, compliance with whatever alleged social and public goals are the current thing. And number four, because government mandates on things like efficiency, not only efficiency, but that's, that's a good one. It's related to the story. Government mandates are threats. They're threats to companies that are backed up by real fists of power. And if you go farther than the fists, you end up with men with guns. That is the implicit threat at the bottom of all of this. And that shit rolls downhill onto manufacturers and designers who then roll that shit down onto you, the consumer and buyer. I didn't have any idea until the past couple of years how deeply meddlesome the government has been in private enterprise right in front of my nose. There were other people who saw it. There, were, there are people who have known this for 60 years. Um, I just wasn't listening. I wasn't paying attention. It wasn't real to me. They were right. I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm going to present you with just one example. And by itself, yes, it's small. Um, by itself, it's the kind of thing that a lot of people would, you know, might say, well, you know what, this just sounds like you're just a disgruntled guy. Like, why are you so upset? Lol, LMAO, Bomar. <laughs> Those who are too young to remember a different world when it wasn't like this, usually they don't appreciate what they don't have. They can't because they don't know it. It's not real to them. It's easier to say, well, old people are like, old and stuff and they always do old things it's easier to do that than it is to be the one fish who notices that all the fish are swimming in water that no one knew existed before and tells other fish about it if if you are many of you have been that one fish and you know that you often get you get bit right the other fish don't want to hear about the water they're hostile to you telling them that they're in a medium of water but like Small tax increases, a half cent on paper bags here, another 0.1% on your property rate, your property tax rate there. They're all individually small, but they add up over time. They are cumulative. And the cumulative effect is not small. It's big. It costs money. It costs time. It costs opportunity. What is small in the span of one month is very large after 20 years. And so it's gone with appliances, personal appliances. They're nearing the tipping point of decades of accumulated nudging and consciously chosen bad design. So this week I was staying uh, with Kevin in New York State. Um, and to my benefit, Kevin loves air conditioning about as much as I do. So there were window units all over the house and most blessedly in the upstairs bedroom. <laughs> um, Summers in upstate New York and actually in New England, if you don't know, although it's not as hot as the Deep South, features brutal humidity. Today is one of those days. We have a lot of really saturated wet air during the summer here. Um, I'm going to show you a picture, um, manufacturer's picture of the air conditioner in the bedroom I was staying in. It uh, <laughs> oh, my God. He's going to slap me later and I'll have it coming. I almost called him Karen. <laughs> um 
this is an air conditioner. I don't know how to pronounce it, but the brand name is His Sense or His Sensei. It sounds like it might be Korean or Japanese. So this company has built a deliberate nudge into its operation. It has done so at the expense of one of the most basic features that every air conditioner I've ever seen until now has had. And that is the ability to remember the temperature that you set on the appliance when you turn it off so that when you come back and turn it back on, it remembers the temperature and begins to, to cool the room again. But see, it hasn't really forgotten how to do that. It knows how to do that. It knows how to remember your settings. It just won't do it unless you comply with its implicit moral judgment. And yes, I'm, I'm anthropomorphizing the air conditioner. I understand the air conditioner isn't conscious. I'm talking about the conscious design choices that went into the algorithm. Air conditioners shouldn't, this is another thing, air conditioners don't need algorithms. Your, 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 your refrigerator does not need an algorithm. They don't need computers at all. They literally don't. You know what they need? Dials. That's all they need. All right. So what do I mean by this with this air conditioner? Well, the idea of, quote, saving the earth is built into the very design. And yes, that's ridiculous on many fronts when we're talking about air conditioning. Stipulated. I get it. So I have to set this up so you understand. So like most air conditioners, this one has a, a, a mode that it calls eco. Kevin thinks that means economy, and I think it used to. But I think today when you see eco, it means ecology. Because most of the time, in my experience anyway, if something has an eco setting, that means um, there's, a, there's usually a little leaf icon next to it so you can feel virtuous. <laughs> um, so there are several modes on the air conditioner. One of them is cool. One of them is fan, fan only. One of them is dry, which is uh, a not very good substitute for a dedicated dehumidifier. Uh, and the other one is the eco mode. So this air conditioner has an eco mode, mode, and what that means is when this mode is chosen, the air conditioner will not run constantly. Now, remember, even air conditioners that have a fan that runs constantly, the compressor isn't running constantly. The compressor is the actual heavy, the thing that makes the air conditioner heavy that actually cools, and that's the electricity suck, not the fan, right? A fan is just a fan. It doesn't draw that much current. It's the compressor that draws a lot of current. So even air conditioners that are running the fan constantly are not, that, that fan isn't doing much. So eco mode doesn't really do a damn thing, except it turns the fan on and off excessively to, to keep sampling the air temperature in the room. And if, if the air conditioner has decided the temperature is not risen enough, it won't turn the fan or the compressor back on. Now, notice this has, again, absolutely no bearing at all on when the compressor runs. And it's the compressor that everybody says is killing the earth because it takes a lot of electricity. This affects only the fan, really. Um, so eco mode is a useless feature. But it does leave the room hotter than it does on cool. And I suspect that this is because the algorithm has been fudged and it's been programmed uh, you may set it at 72 degrees, but it's not going to turn on until it's 75 degrees. It, I, I don't even trust the temperature settings on these things anymore. So it's going to err on the side of let the room get hotter before you turn it back on. Here's how this works in reality. I'll give you the steps that I went through with this thing. Number one, set the air conditioner to cool mode and set the thermostat, say, to 68 degrees. 
go to sleep. When you get up in the morning, you turn the machine off so that you're not wasting energy and cooling an empty room. It's bedroom air conditioner. Step three, when you return to the bedroom in the evening, turn the machine back on. Step four, notice that your set temperature that you left it at 68 degrees, that has been remembered by the machine as you would expect it to do. Ah, but step five, notice that when you turned the machine on, it chose to put itself in eco mode. You didn't do that. It did that. It made that decision for you. But you want cool mode because cool mode works better, right? You want that compressor running constantly because you've got a room that is heated up during the day and you don't want this thing turning on and off because it's trying to be allegedly efficient. So again, you turned it on. It's an eco mode. It shows 68 degrees, but you switch it over to cool mode. Bam. The air conditioner instantly forgets your temperature setting, and it resets it to the highest one on the machine. On this machine, it's 75 degrees. On some, it's like 77, 78. Boom. It's gone because you chose cool mode. And your punishment, and I, I know it's small. Again, I realize this. I know you're saying first world problems. I get it. I'm not saying that I'm deprived of water or that I'm in danger of starvation. I get it. But this small thing is is one of hundreds, maybe thousands of these small things that have added up to a lot of irritation in bad machines. So it forgets your, your colder temperature. It forces you to use eco mode and turn it back to cool mode. And it makes you go through the whole thing. And it's extra irritating because like most appliances these days, it doesn't actually have buttons. What you see, those are not buttons. It's that flat panel with an, an alleged button. And again, I know it's small, but it's another piece of tedium. You have to use a lot of finger leverage. It's not like a key on a keyboard that gives you quick tactile feedback. You have to press this thing because it's got a soft, flat covering over it, and you need to press it really hard to make contact. And this one has got a built-in delay of about a second, so you can't go, you have to go deep, wait for it, deep, wait for it, push, push. It's just, it irritates me, not because, not because my finger can't take the work, but because nothing ever used to be like this. This is not how machines used to handle. This is a devolution, not an evolution. To make the machine do what you want, it forces you to go through all this stuff. And this is what's been going on. The machine has been programmed to thwart your desire to use it for its intended full cooling purpose. It has a built-in nudge that is also an implicit moral scold. That's the forcing you to reset the temperature if you won't agree to use eco mode. I can remember it, but only if you use eco mode. I resent this. It's small, and yeah, it's a first world problem, but it's not because it's one small thing among countless others and machines that have all added up over the decades to appliances that deliberately make themselves less functional and consciously inconvenient because the current thing is to freak out over the environment. We're not living in a free market capitalist economy. This is a government-meddled hobbled economy that produces shitty, passive-aggressive products that act as mommy government's head girl watching you in your own home. Look at the ridiculous Ford F-150 Lightning, the all-electric version of Ford's best-selling, very famous work truck. Nobody wants this thing. It's got terrible range. It doesn't, doesn't travel very far in a charge. Load it down like you would any truck for work, and the range gets even worse. And it costs much more than the normal truck. The last time I saw it, they were selling for like 60 grand. Ford isn't making these because of customer demand. Nobody wants that shitty truck. They don't. 
I mean, the sales are like minuscule. Ford is making them because of U.S. and increasingly international demands, and these demands they have no legal or moral right to make to service ESG goals, environmental, social, and governance practices. So you can take one of two things away from this, this rant that I'm coming to the end, to, end of the show with. Number one, you can say, you can be that, that young person, the lol, L-M-A-O, young person who says, Josh just has a personal problem because he's old and stuff. What he says is just like personal to him. And like, it's just, it's just being a boomer. It's just boomer. You can take that approach. Or you can take this from it. Maybe we have all been slowly boiled in a pot of government interference until we no longer remember that humans built machines to serve the needs of humans, not the other way around, and certainly not to serve the desires of our government. You can remember that we used to have that world. That, that world existed within living memory, but we don't have it any longer. Perhaps that's something to examine, even if you're not convinced by just one single example. And that is the show. Take care. Actually, before I sign off, I want to say thank you. It's been two and a half years since Kevin and I started this show. And we've got a lot more growth planned. We're working on stuff. But I want to say thank you to all of you who tune in and listen to us, whether you listen to us on podcasts, whether you do it on video. Thank you. Because without you, we wouldn't have anything. Um, it makes me feel good that what we do and what we talk about is interesting enough that you tune in. And so many of you make a point of being there every Sunday when we do the live premiere. You like it that much. And thank you especially to the people who have subscribed to us, who have become members and financially support this show. You know, you, you get it for free. We're, never, we're not charging people for the content. But some of you actually like this and think it's important enough that you help us pay for it. And it, it's a really good thing. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>